This episode is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for over a decade since they supplied the uniforms for Anaheim Fire when I worked out in California. And they have partnered with the Behind the Shield podcast to offer you, the listener, 15% off not just a single purchase, but an ongoing discount every time you shop at 511tactical.com. And I will give you the discount code in a moment. I just want to go on a kind of product focus for a second. In episode 125 of Behind the Shield podcast, I spoke to podiatrist Dr. Mike Donato, um, and we discussed a concern that I've had, which is the footwear uh, for first responders. If you're a firefighter, obviously, if we're doing an extrication, if we're fighting fire, our bunker boots are definitely the best things. They offer a high level of protection. But the day-to-day calls, the EMS calls, all those kind of areas, they are absolutely overkill, some of the boots that we are being given. And I wanted to find a kind of happy medium between protection and comfort as a lot of these heavy, heavy boots are causing uh, overuse injuries, knee pain, ankle pain, back pain. And 5.11 Tactical has come up with a shoe called the Norris Sneaker. Now, this has the feel literally of, of a skate shoe. It's incredibly comfortable. It has puncture protection on the bottom. It has the toe protection on the front, but they've taken a lot of the weight away and made it far more comfortable. I think many of us will admit that as an alternative to duty boots, we turn to sneakers, which are also very comfortable, really don't offer any protection. So this is a great happy medium between the two. If you want to see this, as I said, it's called the Norris, N-O-R-R-I-S, sneaker. Go to 511 Tactical, and that discount code that I was talking about is SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5. That will be applicable for all of your purchases. The only time that's not going to work is when they have an additional sale that's actually going to be higher. So if they're offering a 20% or 25% off, obviously that 15 is going to be invalid because you're going to get even more off. So for the Norris sneaker and all the other things that I'm going to showcase that I personally use, I'm not going to start talking about things that I don't use, but the products of theirs that I think they're amazing, um, go to 511 Tactical, put in Shield 15, and save 15% every single time. Welcome, guys, to episode 260 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I'm very excited to bring to you Chase Morgan. Now, Chase is an eight-year veteran of the fire service, but really wanted to tell his story of entering the fire service with a great probation, but then finding himself uh, declining as far as ambition and motivation, um, and then truly doing some soul-searching being the person who forced the change. So this is an area that we talk about quite a lot is, you know, there's a, there's a high level of motivation when you are training and probation, but then what comes after that? Some people are able to find great mentors. Some people find themselves in a void. So Chase leads us down his path, uh, where he ultimately formed a fool's chapter in his department and used that to create motivation and force change. So a great conversation. Before we get to that, as I always say, and you guys have been doing a great job with this, thank you. Take a moment to go to your podcast app and subscribe to the show and then leave a rating. Five-star ratings make us visible to people looking for a podcast like this. Um, and then use your social media and any other platform to share these episodes. So with that being said, I introduce to you Chase Morgan. Enjoy. Chase, I want to say welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me. Where on planet Earth are we finding you today? 
I am at home today. Uh, I live about an hour north of Houston. I live in the same town that I work. So the commute to work is pretty nice. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, okay. And then uh, I'd love to get a backstory of, you know, your early life. So where were you actually born and what did your, what was your, fa- oh my God. Where were you actually born and what was your family dynamic like? I was born just outside of Fort Worth. So I've been in Texas almost my entire life. Uh, mom and dad are still together and I've got two younger brothers. So we're the middle brother is three years younger than me and the youngest is three years younger than him. So that was kind of cool growing up like that too. We, uh, we were close enough in age where, you know, my youngest brother, maybe not so much, but me and my middle brother, we had a lot of periods in our lives where we were kind of interested in the same stuff. So, you know, we, we really did grow up together. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have this, this huge gap in age where, uh, where we never really hung out or talked or, or whatever else too. So uh, that's us. That's, that's the clan. Brilliant. And what do your mom and dad do as a profession? Dad has been in kind of the IT world uh, for forever. He started climbing telephone poles with GTE back in the day when he graduated high school. Dad's actually got a really cool story, like a right place at the right time kind of deal. But he went from doing blue collar stuff to, uh, moved into management through a connection he made and he worked uh worked for verizon when gt became verizon did that for years jumping around different jobs in the company and uh retired a couple of years ago from that and the mom was a stay-at-home mom when i was born she had a she worked for uh you know obviously for a lot of years and i was born she quit work did the stay-at-home mom thing until my youngest brother got into the first or second grade, I think. And then she went back to work teaching school. And she did that for uh, probably 15 years. Brilliant. Now, you said your dad had a right place, right time story. What What is yeah. that story? Well, he, uh, so like I said, he he had a job climbing telephone poles, you know, doing doing maintenance work and stuff for, for the company. And dad's always been a real avid fisherman. He was, he was out on the lake in San Angelo where he grew up. And... He said he saw this uh, this guy paddle in his boat, like in the middle of the lake with his boy. So dad figured there was something wrong. He scooted over in his boat to, to see if there was something he could do to help. And the uh, what, it, what it was, the guy's outboard motor quit. And he was out in the middle of the lake fishing with his son. So he was just trying to paddle back to shore, you know. So my dad said, well, here, why don't you take mine? I've got this little trolling motor. I can you know, I'm right here. I can just putz around and do what I'm doing. And I'll come by tomorrow to pick up, to pick up my motor. Oh, you know, long story short, the guy took the motor. Uh, dad went the next day to his house to pick it up. And the guy had cleaned that outboard motor up like it was brand new. And just through conversation, they found out that they both worked, uh, for the same company. They both worked for GTE. And the guy told my dad, if he ever had a job come up that, my dad would be the first one on his list because of that. And, you know, the way dad tells the story is he's like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever. That was nice of him, but I'll probably never hear from this guy again. Well, a few years later, my dad got a phone call from that guy uh, in Sherman, Texas, which is probably six or seven hours north of San Angelo. And the guy offered my dad a job there in Sherman in, uh, in management. So that's how he moved from 
from the, I guess the blue collar stuff to the white collar stuff was through, through Linda, through, through some random act of kindness, lending some guy an outboard motor on the lake. Beautiful. And that is, that's so cool to hear. Cause you, sometimes kindness is sold the same way as karma, you know, like you do it so that you get something in return. And that's obviously not, well, at least not, not what I think it is. You know, you just do it expecting nothing in return, but yeah. it's amazing when you put kindness out in the world that does seem to happen like it does seem to come back even if that's not your reason for actually doing it well you attract what you put out right i mean that's that's evident over over and over and over again so yeah absolutely all right well then uh as a as a child were you an athlete did you love sport man i was in the high school marching band (laughs) (laughs) i played i played the well, I pretended to play the trombone and I walked around a, a football field during halftime. So, uh, I enjoyed watching sports growing up, you know, but, uh, uh, I did the peewee stuff, basketball, soccer, soccer. I kind of got decent at when I was a little guy, but I never really stuck with it. So brilliant. I shared a, uh, a video of a, a little tiny kid obviously loves marching band. He's a little drummer and he's standing alongside, I'm assuming their high school or college, uh, marching band drummers and just going to town as drummers. Give us to be about five. It was so cute to watch. So, <laughs> all right. Well, then, um, career-wise, what were your aspirations when you were at high school level? So the fire department things kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of finding my place in it still. When when I was a kid. Uh, I, I blame my parents. My mom and dad bought me a GI Joe when I was probably five or six. And, uh, it was a Marine and his blessed in his, uh, his dress blues with, you know, the sword. And he had this, he had a, a big Bowie knife and a gun that shot a little green rocket. And, uh, he had a, he had the Eagle globe and anchor like tattooed on his chest real big. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so, so for the longest time I wanted to be a Marine. And, uh, I say for the longest time, it it was, it was a thought even until, until real, real recently. Uh, and I didn't do it for what I blamed were for a handful of reasons, but what I came to realize was I never did it because I never did it. You know, I never went to the recruitment office and signed the papers and, and, uh, and took that leap. And I don't know if that was a, a kind of meant to be thing. I guess it had to have been, you know, but, uh, you know, for, for a long time, I kind of, I guess the right word is blamed. I, I blamed other people for me not doing that. And, uh, recently I kind of came to terms with the fact that I never, I never followed that because I didn't follow it. Now I don't have the chance to, uh, I turned 30 in, uh, this last July and the oldest the Marine Corps will take you is, is uh, 29 years old. You have to be you have to be in basic training before your 29th birthday uh, if you want to be a Marine. So it's something that I'll never get to do now. And uh, that realization kind of kind of uh, started the slingshot pullback for where I feel like I'm at now uh, as far as as far as the fire service goes. But to answer your question, <laughs> I wanted to be a Marine when I was a little guy. And uh, just kind of grew into this, I suppose. Right. And what was it that stopped you from recruiting? 
I don't know if I was scared or what it was. The so the first time I talked to my folks, you know, I, I was planning on doing it right out of high school, and uh, my parents and I had the talk and decided, well, why don't you go to college first and then go in as an officer, right? If that's what you're wanting to do, uh, you'll have, you know, probably a, a better quality of life is what they were thinking. You know, as a, as an officer, you'll get, um, you know, a higher pay, all that kind of stuff. Right. So I tried the college thing. Uh, di- didn't really care for it. It wasn't my, it wasn't my thing at least then. So I, I actually dropped out of college a couple of times, really Uh, went to university and then came home and went to community college and then started looking at it again uh, when I was in community college. I was working at a grocery store and had to work my way up from from a bag boy all the way to uh, I managed the the front end. So all the registers, the bookkeeping, that kind of stuff was was where I was at. But it was the same thing every single day. I could probably still walk you through. That was, I haven't worked for that, that company in probably 12 years. And I think I could still walk you through <laughs> my day to day. So, uh, I just kind of got tired of that and started thinking about other, other career options, went back to, went back to the Marine Corps thing and started talking to them. And I found out then that they have a, uh, a firefighting division. I didn't know at the time, but it's, it's their, uh, their ARF stuff that they do. They, uh, they have their own guys on base that do their, our firefighting. You know, and I was, I remember having a conversation around that time with my folks about possibly being a firefighter too. So that interested me because, you know, I knew, I knew getting out of the, out of the service, you got extra points on civil service exams and that kind of stuff. If you're a veteran, uh, and then if I could do something like firefighting in the Marines and that would translate directly to what I wanted to do when I got out. Right. So, so I started looking kind of, kind of for the purpose of being a firefighter once I got out. And, uh, when I had, when I had that conversation with my parents, they decided, well, if, if that was my point, quote unquote point for going in, then they would just pay for fire school for me. So, uh, they actually wrote me a check. I found a fire school and, uh, they wrote me a check and I went, I went that route instead that time. Brilliant. All right. So then let's get into the journey into fire, the fire service then. So you played a little bit of sport, but then, you know, it sounds like you weren't like enamored with the athletic side. Did you prepare yourself for fire school physically? Yes, that was, that was kind of when I, I actually started working out. I had no idea what I was doing. But uh, I'd go to the gym a few times a week thinking you had to do, you know, the the Arnold Schwarzenegger routine. The Monday was chest day. Tuesdays was arm day. Wednesdays was leg day kind of thing. And uh, I mixed in some like P90X in there, too, and that kind of stuff. So wasn't really sure what I was doing with it. But I knew that if I was going to be a firefighter, uh, I for sure had to put on weight. I was. I think I graduated high school. I think I was 135, 140 pounds, something like that. So uh, six feet tall too. So I was like a, you know, a string bean. So I knew I'd have to put on some weight, but, and I knew to do that, you had to work out, but I didn't understand the role of specifically nutrition, you know, how to actually weight lift. I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants with that. 
Right. So then with that, uh, maybe not the most ideal um, preparation, how did you fare in the academy itself? Uh, I feel confident saying that I did pretty well in the academy. So I was also around. We had a we had a decent group of guys, too, in that class in that class with me. And I had applied to be the uh, what they call them, the class captain. And the few, uh, a handful of us applied for that. And a, the couple of us that didn't get chosen for captain, uh, we got made lieutenants. So they split us up kind of into shifts. And then we had the, you know, the captain kind of, you know, made the assignments or whatever. And then, you know, kind, kind of a pseudo, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I think they were trying to do like an ICS kind of thing, you know, where we'd, we'd make the structure fire and the captain would tell us what to do and the lieutenants would take their crews and that kind of thing. So uh, had some good guys in my, in my little crew with me too. So they helped me out also, but, uh, and then I started learning more about fitness, not, or I guess weightlifting. Then a couple of the guys that I was in that class with were, were big, strong. They were older dudes, big, strong dudes. And I kind of, uh, I saw the value in sticking with those guys when we'd go to the gym after class and that kind of stuff too. So they kind of helped me get going in the right direction. Brilliant. All right. So then your journey into getting hired. I got really, really lucky. <laughs> uh, I finished fire school, then immediately went and got my, uh, got my national registry done for, for my EMT and then just started testing. And uh, I tested the city of Fort Worth a couple of times with, you know, it's a, it's a large city. So there were probably a thousand other people in that room taking that test with me uh, and tested for just a couple of other places. <coughs> Excuse me. Just a couple other places and um, scored high enough on the test here where I got invited to the physical agility the next week. I was in the first round of, of, the physical agility test. And I knew that if I could, I had a pretty clean background. So I knew if I could pass the physical agility, I'd probably get a job. And, uh, it all just kind of like the stars aligned, I guess, you know, I, uh, I did all this before I was officially certified and the training chief at the time, I told him, you know, Hey, I've taken all the tests. I've submitted everything. I'm just waiting on the, I'm waiting on the okay from the state. And he told me well, that's okay as long as you have as long as you have your certifications when we call and offer you the job, then you'll be fine. Well, I got those certifications uh, I think two days before the chief called me and offered me the job. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, th there's guys that look for jobs for I know years and and have a hard time finding stuff. So I feel really fortunate that uh, that I got. I, man, that that luck is the only way that I can describe that, you know. So right, was that 2012? Yeah, that was 2012. Okay, only reason I know that I was trying to research and I saw you had your one year um, uh, award given to you online when I when I googled you. So that was 2013. So beautiful. Oh, wow, what a talker. Yeah, detective work. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So then, uh, what was their orientation like? Because I mean, the reason we're doing a lot focusing on this backstory is obviously we're going to talk about some some dips and then some some rises again in in your motivation and and the areas around that. Um, was the bar set pretty high at your department when you walked through the door? Yeah, uh, 
Man, I, I work with some really good guys, like like some real real grade A kind of guys. And the first crew that I was assigned to, at the time we only had had one dual company house. So we had a uh, we've got an engine and a ladder truck at Station One, and that's where most of the rookies would would pass through that for at least their first uh, probably their first ninety days or so. The chief liked to keep them there because he the the shift commander was in that house too. So he liked to keep the rookies there for a little bit and, and uh, I guess move them out from there. But I ended up staying at that house my entire first year. And both of the, both the company officers on those trucks were good guys with high standards. The senior firemen that I was lucky to work with were sharp guys that uh, guys that I still really respect today. They're, one of them moved on to a different department and the other one's a company officer now. And I, I, they're, they're guys that, uh, that I'll still, you know, call with questions and that kind of stuff. But we do a, a year of probation. So your first, your first 12 year, your first three months rather, uh, they break it up into phase training is what we call it. So every three months you have different skills, different roadmaps, different policies, and, and a couple other things that you're tested on. So you move through that, and if you pass all four of your phases, you get off probation at the end of your year, and uh, and you kind of go from there with your career, I guess. No, well, that's good. I mean, the the tests I think are very important because it gives you the opportunity to you know evaluate your people, and if there's weaknesses, then begin a paper trail. But also, obviously, an opportunity to to bring people up, not immediately try and get rid of them. But that also gives you four opportunities to to create a, you know, a history where if someone is not rising to the challenge that you are able to let them go, which I think is an area that people struggle with in a lot of departments. Um, but I think is the, the, the secret to the success of a department is to be able to, to let people go if they're not meant for your department. Well, yeah, not a, you know, you can, you can teach an orangutan to hold a hose and open and sh- it even says open and close on the bail. Right. But not everyone can be a firefighter. Uh, you know, this, this, this job, public service in itself, you know, whether you're talking about firefighting, uh, a peace officer or, or the military, there, there has to be a way to, to make sure that you're getting the right people in there for that job. Uh, and like you said, that, that 12 month period that we have kind of allows you to, to really evaluate these people. And it gives you enough time too, where you're not just going to cut somebody loose. Uh, you know, you, you might get a guy that, you know, maybe just some young kid, maybe he's an 18 year old kid that doesn't know anything about life yet and just needs a little bit of character development. And that 12 months gives you enough time to kind of see who they're going to be. And uh, so you're not making a rash decision, you know, based off of one call or, or, you know, one day of training or something and fire somebody that you really should have ended up keeping. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. So then with that great mentorship, when you first entered the fire service, um, when did you when did you start to feel like your motivation was declining? Probably pretty close after that first year, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, no through no fault of those guys that, that I was working with, but I went for this, this year of having these standards and this structure to my training and, and what I was expected to do. And, 
you know, a, a time frame to do it in and all that kind of stuff. And then once, once you, once you get off probation, you're just kind of left to your own devices almost. Uh, you can put in for training classes and, you know, like I, uh, I got off probation in January and I think in, uh, April I went to, I went to Swift water school. So, you know, got to go to a training class almost right out of the gate from being off of probation and stuff, but it's more trying to find kind of what you're interested in and, and whatever else. And, I didn't know enough about the fire service to do that. And I didn't know enough about the fire service to ask questions on how to find that or, or what to do, or does that make sense? No, no, completely. And, and it's interesting because your, your perspective is very different than, you know, some of the people we've had on here that have been in that leadership position for a long, long time. But I couldn't agree more when you're a, a new man or woman going into this profession where we are responsible for such an incredible diverse set of skills. You need to maintain that structure. You've set that bar so well on probation. And then if you go from that to very, very little structure, then it sends, I think it sends two messages. Firstly, it's like, all right, we've taught you all you need to know, which is obviously a horrible message after a year. And secondly, it just kind of drops people into the ocean then to to then figure out how to train themselves and we see that we are our motivated people do start going to the academies and learning and hopefully some of them even take up trying to begin to teach but when you look at what we are responsible for there's definitely uh it's a great point to think about what is that next step post um probation the same way as post buds the seals have, you know, all these other things that they do over and over and over again, you know. So, so yeah. I mean, I I see why a new firefighter would feel like that if they went from a really great first year of probation to a huge drop off. Right, and that's kind of where, you know, you, you said, you said you feel like you're good enough when you get off that first year, and we're we're a pretty young department. We've had, uh, you know, we're starting to lose lose a bunch of our experience just to, to retirement and whatever else. So when I got off that first year of probation, I was one of the, I was actually one of the more senior firefighters on my shift, you know, with, with a year into the job. Really? So, yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, the chief liked to keep the, the brand new guys at the, at, at station one for, you know, however long he decided that they needed to be around or whatever. So I ended up traveling stations a lot. You know, if a spot came open down at, you know, station four, they needed a firefighter for the day down there, I'd go down there or I'd, you know, go across town to, you know, station five or, or whatever. And so that I let that play into my apathy too, where it came to training where, you know, I just got off this one year probation, right? Like, you know, I can take, take me to any fire ground. I'm good to go. Right. And, then I go back to station one after doing a bunch of that jumping around and we've got a new guy. This was, this day was a really big wake up call for me. We got a, we had a brand new guy. He was on his first phase and your first phase is kind of centered around some of the basics. You know, you're going to learn how to, how to move and flow water. You're going to learn how to throw ladders. You're going to learn, uh, you know, you're going to learn the engine that you ride, the, the territory for your station, that kind of stuff. And, so this guy hadn't thrown ladders yet. So all right, man. Well, I'll I'll take you outside and I'll I'll show you how to throw ladders, right? You know, me being the 
the big senior man that I was with, with 18 months on the job or whatever. So I went outside and luckily one of those senior firemen that helped me out so much, uh, I think, I think he was, a. we have drivers too at, uh, at our department. So I think he was, I think he was a driver at this point, but luckily he came outside with us because I looked like an idiot trying to teach this brand new guy how to, I'd have, I'd have set this kid up for, for some kind of failure or something. Uh, so he came out and he, he ended up very tastefully and very tactfully giving us both kind of a lesson in ladders. And uh, I don't remember how long into the job I was at that point, but it was, you know, that was a real wake up call to me that while well, I got off probation, right. But, you know, I couldn't come outside and throw a 24 foot ladder by myself without, you know, nearly dropping it. And that new guy, I remember one time like running over and helping me push it back up against the building and stuff. And, uh, I think that specifically is why I throw ladders so often now, <laughs> but, but yeah, just kind of, a uh, you know, going back to what you said, where you feel like you're good enough. I, I was definitely there where I felt like I was good enough. I earned, I earned my TV and couch time. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, we had the, the phrase in Anaheim, yad, year and a day. And that was the guy that got a probation and then didn't do shit after that. And to be honest, in that department, you rarely saw that. They were, they were, you know, a very, very fired up group. But with, um, with the ladders, it was interesting. My journey, again, just through fate was fire school in Orlando. Then I got hired in the Miami area first, was there for a year. So that was two years of, of, know an academy and then another like brutal three-month orientation with uh with Hialeah that was to me almost like smoke divers it was it was horrendous in a great way but then when I went to California so it's two years on now so you know I felt not I never felt overconfident because I moved around so much but I felt like okay at least I have a grasp of the basics now but when it came to ladders, they threw them completely different than we did back east. So we, we did, you know, the academy way was you butt it against the, the building, you walk up the rungs and you pull it away a little bit, raise it, rotate it. And then out, out west, they were like, fuck that. You just throw it on your shoulder, you stick it, you raise it and that's it. It's ready to go. You don't have to turn it. You know, you can, you can climb it the other way around. No one's going to die. Um, but it was very, very humbling. So I, there's this two year guy that flew over from the East Coast and I'm having to learn how to throw the West Coast way during this orientation where I could get fired. So, um, yeah, that, that humility was kind of drilled in me just because it was always trial by fire. But then after that experience, I, I worked in places in back in, in Florida where I saw exactly what you're talking about, like that swagger after a year like you know everything and and in my mind it was like that humility is what keeps us safe and complacency is what kills us so again another great reason why we need to have a transition from probation to like a you know quote unquote level two where yeah you're off probation but you still got so much to learn so that it keeps people humble sure and i don't know if that would, i don't see a whole lot of what i went through in the department either. I don't know if I was like a, I don't know if it was because I, I jumped stations so much that I felt that way or, or what it was. Cause some of these guys, you know, some of these guys come out of, come out of their probation and, uh, you know, they, they seem to have it way more together 
than than I did. And uh, I don't think that's the fault of, you know, like I said, those guys that taught me were were top notch guys. So I don't think it was any fault of theirs. I, you know, I think it was more me and that overconfidence and what I thought I could do, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you're definitely not alone yeah. in in the yeah. fire service. I know <laughs> in Orange County where I worked, um, I I believe I hope I'm not misquoting. I think that 50 percent of our department had less than five years in the fire service. So you could have the back two firefighters and an engine combined have a year's a year on, like oh, six and six. I mean, it was just it was crazy. We were so short staffed, and it was like a revolving door. A lot of people would come and then leave again. Um, and there's nothing wrong with a young department if there's that humility brought in. But if you're in a station and you're a four-year guy and then the other two are like one and two years, well, you know, you're fucking John Rain in the fire service. And the reality is compared to the 30-year guy, you you just learn to take the pacifier out of your mouth, you know. But it is, it's total perspective. And if you're around a lot of new people that can be very fired up, doesn't mean they're experienced, you know, then then I think that's when we, as whatever profession you're in, need to take a step back and, and ask yourself, am I in a small pond right now? And if so, where can I go to get mentorship from more experienced people as well? Well, and just because you're fired up doesn't mean you're fired up about the right things or in the right way too, right? So, you know, the the situation that you just described where you've got two guys in the back that, that have, you know, six months between them or whatever, that's, that's exactly so that's where I am. I, I'm a, I'm an EO. I, I drive the truck. So when my Lieutenant takes off, I ride in his seat. Right. And then our firefighter drives me <clears throat> and we have another guy in the back. Well, the guy in the back just got off probation, uh, three or four months ago. The guy that's driving me has almost three years on the job and I've got, seven or eight now. So between, between us, we have a decade's worth of experience on this fire truck. So, you know, that, and that's not, that's not uncommon in my department right now. And that's just because of the retirements that we've had. And, and, you know, we've lost some, some four and five year guys to, you know, like one guy wanted to live on the coast. So he tested for some departments down on the coast and went down there and that kind of stuff. So, uh, we've lost a handful of guys that way too, but we're just a really young department right now. So very, very similar situation. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well then, <clears throat> so you, you mentioned about the beginning of a lull when you got off probation, like describe that journey to what would you describe as the lowest point? <sighs> the lowest point was probably probably right about that time that, that, uh, I took that, that guy out back to, to throw the 24 foot ladders. Cause we had some guys that came over that actually had some experience come over from a neighboring department. And, uh, it was a big group of them too. We, we ended up, uh, the city annexed a big, a big chunk of land. And this, this fire station was in the middle of it. So some of those guys that worked at that, at that department that that station was at, uh, got hired with the with with our city too, so we had some guys that had four and five years of experience, six years of experience, however much. And uh, instead of having the humility to listen to some of these guys, I thought because I had worked for this city for 
you know, three or four years that I was, for lack of a better word, better than they were, you know. So that was kind of the low point for me was was getting to a point where I thought that I didn't have to listen to somebody because they didn't have as much time, not just even in the fire service, but not as much time uh, at, at the same department as me. You know, I didn't have to listen to those guys because they don't know our way of doing things. Well, they came from a, they, we ran mutual aid with these guys, <laughs> you know? Uh, so having that, that arrogance that I thought was, uh, that I thought was well-earned was, was certainly not. So, yeah. And just to interject for a second, that's another thing. I have this unusual perspective where I have worked, you know, several different places um, and you see that. And, and the, the best example of that I saw was in California. They, they work well with the, uh, the Orange County Fire Authority guys that were close to their department, but they also had what they called NorthNet, which was a network of all the cities around them. And they ran, uh, mutual aid as well. But it was, I think they called it assumed aid, I think. Um, either way, they, they was flawless. Like whoever was close ran the call. Mm-hmm. We, we fought fire side by side all the time. But we also trained together, so we would do all these multi-company drills, and you know the the um, you know, the the classroom training we do, and we'd sit next to Brea and Orange and all these other departments. Awesome, but then you have other departments where it's the same thing. Like these these men and women honestly thought that even though they went to the same fire academy as the people that worked in the county or city next to them, that somehow they were superior. You know, yeah. and, and that again is only going to be detrimental to the people we serve if there's that much arrogance and ego that it's going to affect the way that you deliver service. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, that was that, that for sure is where, you know, I, I I'm afraid too, that I've kind of burnt, that I kind of burned some bridges with those guys also some guys that, that, uh, that I might really get along with because of how I chose to act in that, you know, one or two year span, however long, however long it was that I was stationed with those guys, you know, I was, I was the senior man, right? So I, I deserved respect. Well, I wasn't senior to anything. So <laughs> well, I'm kind of worried that I might've burned some bridges with those guys and stuff too. But. Well, hopefully they'll hear your humility now and having the courage to tell your story so that'll undo some of that (laughs) we'll see (laughs) all right well then so you talked about the low point and i think that's this is such an important conversation i'm so glad that you reached out to me to tell your story because it happens all over the place and i talk about this a lot there is part ownership of you know you and me as as firefighters and then there's definitely the other side of it which is the job the, the conditions the work week that contribute and i see this everywhere like internationally contribute to the lack of motivation the the weight gain the the medical problems the injuries you know so so there's always those two sides to the story and you know by this point you're talking about several years on shift as well for you so what was uh you had that kind of moment of the low what was your aha moment to actually find a solution to your own personal problem so i kind of rode that train for a little while uh after after that that low point not even realizing what it was until way and and until pretty recently actually so way later uh i ended up testing and uh 
making my driver spot too. So that kind of brought me up a little bit, you know, because I had to, uh, while I was expected to ride up in that position as a firefighter, when you're actually in that position, uh, the responsibility is a little bit different, you know, you're because you're, you've been given the responsibility now by your department. You're not, you're not just riding in that position. Right. And then you also, now I'm expected to ride company officer when my officer's off or, if a spot opens up at, at a different station and they need somebody to go ride one day, you know, uh, uh, I'm one of the guys that'll travel stations to, you know, we all, we all do it, but, uh, you know, I might go travel to station two and, and go ride, ride Lieutenant over there for the day or something also. So that kind of brought me up a little bit where I realized, uh, I realized some of my shortcomings and, and some places where I could really improve, but what really, what really did it for me was uh, I went back to the Marine Corps thing one more time right before I turned 29 and uh, I actually went and talked to recruiters and everything. We, we talked about the possibility of, uh, of being a reservist and even a little bit of, of, of the possibility of active duty. So, you know, maybe a career change and uh It's important, I guess, at this point to note that I'm, I am married. I got married in, uh, uh, 2016. So, you know, now any decision that any decision I make to that caliber is not just affecting me and my career. It's also affecting what my wife could do. And, and, uh, you know, she's, she's on the fast track in her career also right now. So, so it was all a consideration, right? And, uh, I even talked to one of, uh, one of my wife's friends, her brother had just recently got out of the Marines. He was, uh, he was actually a Raider. Uh, so, you know, he was, he was a big boy in the Marine Corps and, uh, uh, I went and talked to him and told him kind of what I was thinking about doing. And he offered, he was like, Hey man, I'll, I'll help you get ready. You know, if, if this is something you want to do, you let me know and, and we'll go to the pool. So, you know, I've got, I, I'm not, I'm not quite 29 yet. Uh, this was like six weeks before my birthday. So I, you know, it's a decision that I had to make real, real fast. Uh, so I'm, I'm still young enough that I could get in. Uh, I've got a guy that's going to help me, you know, with whatever I, with whatever I can. And I had a wife that was going to support me whichever way I decided to go to. So it was really on me to make this decision. And, uh, I thought about it for, I don't know. I had, I had, I think three or four weeks to make this decision. And I spent two of those, uh, thinking about little else and kind of decided that. So I guess I should say too, I was talking about doing, uh, uh, the recon Marine job too. And, and whether it was a reservist deal or as a, a uh, full-time active duty member. I was talking about going into the, into recon Marines. And at the minimum, that is a nine month process. So from, you know, from basic training to, to getting through their end doc and all that kind of stuff. And that's if you stay healthy the whole time too. And, you know, most of those guys at a minimum will get a, you know, some kind of sprain or something that sets them back two or three weeks. Right. So, you know, in my, 
in my prayers and my meditation and in my conversations, I kind of realized that I'm, I'm looking at a, essentially a nine month job interview. And it's an interview that if I don't pass the interview, well, they're going to stick me somewhere else, right? Where I can pass an interview, huh? So, uh, and it would have been, that probably would have been the hardest thing that, that, that I'd have ever done in my life. And I was about willing to give everything that I had to that nine month process. And I thought, well, man, it, like I, I was, I was really kind of brutally honest with myself. And I told myself if I gave that much effort to this job that I was already so lucky to have, I tested with, uh, about 80 other people for this job. So 80 other people want to sit in the seat that I'm sitting in right now. And am I doing that the service that I should be doing that job? And the answer was a huge, huge no. Uh, I wasn't going out and training. I, if somebody else like, Hey, you know, let's go outside and, and, you know, do whatever. Let's go, you know, let's go talk about cutting, cutting holes or whatever. I'd jump up and I'd go with them. Right. But I'm not initiating anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not reading fire service literature. I'm not, I'm not searching for information. I'm not doing that kind of stuff. I read my, I read my, uh, uh, my promotional books, but other than those promotional books, I, I couldn't remember a single fire service book that I had read, uh, since the Academy. Right. So I decided for, I guess, the last time to give up on that dream that I had had since I was a little bitty guy and uh, stick with this fire service thing and give everything that I could to this job, which is what it, what it honestly deserves. It, you know, if, if, if you're going to do this job, if you're going to be in any kind of public service, uh, it, it deserves it deserves your everything, uh, you know, because it, you know, there's a big push right now about, about them, you know, the, the people that we swore to protect the people that we, uh, uh, that we ride the trucks for every day. Right. But I like how, uh, I recently heard Aaron Fields talk for the first time and that guy had me on the edge of my seat for four hours. And part of his talk, he said that it's not, let me see, I I don't want to misquote him, but it was something like, uh, we don't matter more. They don't matter more. Life matters. You just have an obligation to act. And if I look at where I was when I made this decision a couple of years ago, I might have the obligation to act and I might've been willing to act, but would my actions have actually been able to make a difference? So, so that was really where, uh, that was really where the fire service kind of has kind of taken off for me specifically what, you know, I'm not a second generation firefighter. My grandfather was a firefighter, but I didn't know that until I was in the Academy. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was, I carry his badge on my keychain now every day. Um, but he, he passed my junior year in high school. So, so I never got the opportunity to talk to him about it or anything, which, uh, I really, really wish I could have, uh, he's had a, sorry, he's had a real big effect on me through my whole life. But, uh, yeah, so I'm not, I wasn't a, I wasn't a second generation firefighter. You know, I didn't, 
I didn't know and I didn't try to know for a long time. So, so giving up on that, on what I always kind of had in the back of my mind is, well, you know, you could always go do this. You could always go do this. Giving up on that, letting that go, not giving up on it. I shouldn't say that. Letting that go is uh, what really let what really let that passion come back into me for for what is such an incredible, incredible opportunity and an incredible career. I can't believe they pay me. <laughs> no, it's the greatest job in the world, hands down, and I I adore it and and I adore the people in it, which is why. You know, I started this for for both of those reasons. But you you're gonna hit the nail on the head with the, you know, when half your heart was still thinking about the Marines and and understanding then that this career requires a hundred percent dedication because it does, and that's not just in the skills. Like you know, a, a good analogy I use is you, you know, you see this focus on let's say forceful entry, hugely important tactic. And if you, let's say, are a guru in forceful entry, but you have not, uh, you know, addressed your nutrition and your fitness, well, let's say now the fire's on the twentieth floor and they need your skills, but you can't make it to the top, you know. So there's there's this amazing homeostasis of trying to find that middle ground where you're as, as skilled as you possibly can be on all the things that we need whilst maintaining your fitness your health your injury prevention there's no way in hell that you can do this career half-assed you have to be in it 100 percent. so you're, you're talking about building character is what you're talking about you know the, the the skills can come with instruction but you have to work on that character yourself you have to work on that that drive and and that desire to to be better every single day and if this job is what what gets you to that point where you know that you know maybe the job is what what gives you the the discipline to get up and to and to move forward and, you know to get to the gym every day even though you don't feel like going to uh you know to have the hard conversations with with your wife when you're at home so you're not at the station worried about these things because if you're worried about these things when you're at the station then that trickles over into into calls and now you're not as focused you're not as focused you know when you're at this structure fire as you should be because you know even subconsciously you know you might be you might be looking at the problem right in front of you and that's consuming your attention but subconsciously you know you've still got this stress in the back of your mind that's just sitting there and festering and festering and festering that's not getting taken care of so building that strong character and being around people that help you build that strong character building that inner circle of friends that that are gonna uh that are gonna ask you what you're reading and tell you what they're reading about too you know like that, that's it's so important to to be around people like that absolutely all right well then what did you do to change i set some sure enough goals for myself you know i'm i'm a uh I'm a reader. I'm a believer in processes and, and, uh, whatever else too. So I sat down and wrote out some big goals and I wrote out, you know, I, I broke them down into, into steps that were actionable, you know, over this month, over this week, over today, what can I do today to make this thing happen? And, uh, uh, I've got to credit you with, with a big, a big part of it. Um, I listened to your, interview with Rick George a while back and he talked about this organization called the fools and how he felt like the fools, 
you know, really saved his life. He's, he's pretty open about all that now. And, uh, I remember thinking that sounded like a pretty cool organization, right? Like, you know, they're, they're about training and, and whatever else. That sounds pretty neat. So I started looking into that a little bit more and, uh, decided that we needed one of those organizations here. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> so, uh, trying to think of the, the actual time frame that this happened in. Uh, I heard that interview and then I just kind of let it sit in the back of my mind for quite a while. And then when, when that, when I, when I had that realization, uh, I guess it was about that same, around that same time, maybe a few months later, uh, we had, we had a firefighter who I knew here in town. Uh, he actually lost his life. It was, a it was outside of, uh, it was outside of the job and stuff, but he, uh, he lost his life and real tra in a, in a pretty tragic way. So we went to, went to the funeral and then went to, uh, you know, they call it a cell. It's not a wake anymore. It's a celebration of life. And we went to his celebration of life at, a at a local bar and I'm talking to a couple of the guys and this fool's thing comes up again. So start looking, I start looking seriously into, what we would have to do to get one in this area, what it was about and what the fools is about. It's about building the brotherhood of the fire service. And that brotherhood is built through sweat on the training ground uh, is how I describe the mission to people. And that was in December, I think November or December of last year. And uh, I made it my goal for, the first quarter of of this year of 2019 to to have a fool's organization in this area and we held our first meeting april 4th of 2019 so that's really been my jumping off point with the, I, I i drew the short straw at our first executive board meeting and and those guys made me the president of this thing <laughs> so uh i feel like that gives me an obligation to for one, spread the message of the fool's organization as a whole, right? You know, you're, you're the president of this local organization. You need to be kind of a, a, a spokesperson for it. And, and you're that way when you're at your fool's meetings and, and when you're outside of them too, because at a certain point, people recognize you as that guy on Facebook that's, you know, talking about the fools or sharing this message or whatever, right? So you need to conduct yourself appropriately and you also need to be in the know with what's going on in the fire service. You need to know these instructors, know who they are, know what they teach, know what, you know, know the ones that you could bring to your area that are relevant, that are relevant right now, all that kind of stuff too. So, uh, so I've started going to more conferences, to more training events, to more, and I've really, really fallen in love with the job. And, uh, I don't know if it's, specifically because of the fools or if it's because of what I'm doing with it, where I'm constantly, constantly around people that just love the job too. And, uh, maybe that's just infected me also, but, but that, that's really what's done it for me, to be honest with you. Well, that's so good to hear. And I, I know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Walt Lewis talked about the fools in depth in one of our interviews. I just met, uh, Rob Mitchell, who's San Antonio Fire. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. they hosted the, uh, and he's with, with the fools there and they hosted the Rosecrans, uh, symposium we just went to for the mental health first responders. 
So I see nothing but amazing things coming out of that organization. It's it's definitely a cool. It's a very unique one too, in that we have. Uh, so I'm, I'm a I'm a union guy too. I've been on our executive board for most of my tenure uh, uh, here at the city. So you know, but the the international union kind of gives a uh, kind of gives some direction. Well, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like the the fools international does not give direction, but uh, the fools the the fools international guys kind of give a little bit more autonomy to their local chapters. You know, they're kind of there to help provide direction and a little bit of guidance. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be one of those, uh, one of those chapters that, that hosts a lot of training or that, uh, you know, does a lot of charity work or whatever, it's kind of on you. It's not really an expectation, quote unquote. Uh, it is, but it isn't, you know, they're not going to come, come bear down on you if you haven't hosted a training event in six months and ask you why you haven't hosted a training event in six months kind of deal. At least not that I've found out uh, in my short time with the organization. But I think that's really cool too, that they kind of let, let you go. And then they let, they let that kind of be the innovation to, to the international as a whole, because now, you know, uh, the fool's organization is, is, is starting to get pretty associated with sons of the flag and, and working with uh, uh, Ryan Parrott with his uh, with his mission on, with you know burn survivors and and Shriners Hospital and burn centers and firefighter training to help prevent burns obviously and all that kind of stuff too so and that's come through the local guys also you know so I think it's I think it's a really cool organization I've met a lot of really incredible guys uh, guys and girls too just you know like I said our our first meeting was in April so like six months ago. And it's like this whole world has opened up to me now, too. It's incredible. Yeah, I watched Ryan speak at the uh, symposium I just went to. And incredibly powerful speaker. I had him on the show probably about a year ago now. Um, But Sons of the Flag, when people ask, where where can I donate? Um, That's usually where I send them. There's, There's a couple other ones as well. But there's so many organizations out there that really awareness is... A more important thing so when it's a mental health people are like oh i want to charity to uh, donate to a mental health charity i'm like well you know really it's it, the the biggest push is to get people to talk about it and get the stigma removed but sons of the flag is very much they need that money so they can pay for these medical procedures and bring in the best people and help these men and women that are burn injured so i think that's an incredible place for people to donate to yeah i would have to agree with you Right. Well, then, um, so what I really want to do now is kind of contrast. So when you were at your lowest point where you were, for lack of a better word, fumble fucking with the ladder, <laughs> um, who who is Chase Morgan now? And, 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 you know, what has changed? Oh, man. That's, that's a really good question. <laughs> uh, I like to think that... Uh, that I've come a long way in, in humility, you know, realizing that I, that for, for sure, then I wasn't good enough, right. Good enough is never good enough either. Uh, that there's always something that, that I can learn somebody that I can learn from, uh, you know, even you, you can learn stuff even from the most apathetic guy that, 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 you know, right. And, uh, even if it's as simple as, you know, what not to be, you know, maybe you're staring at yourself in the mirror. Right. Uh, but I like to think that my, that, 
that I've really become uh, uh, more humble in that aspect and and been more open to learning different things, learning new things, relearning how to do some things that I thought that I already knew how to do, uh, keeping up with my skills, knowing that, uh, you know, training really needs to take a priority in your day to day, especially at the station, you know, when you're around, when you're around the other guys that, that you've got to work with too. And, uh, uh, I've become more a part of the team also at the station. I, I, I was the guy for a long time. Like I would bring my own food because I felt like I needed to be on a special diet. Right. So I would bring my own food and I would at least eat with the guys, uh, for the most part. There were a couple of times I remember sitting at the table, uh, eating on my own for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, I've kind of given up, given, but letting go of that too. And, uh, uh, that's such an important time of the day to eat, eating with the guys at breakfast, lunch, and dinner and being around that table together, because you learn, you learn so much just sitting around the, around the table at the firehouse, you know, it's kind of, kind of become another thing too, you know, that, uh, uh, the coffee table and sitting around and breaking bread together and eat, eating meals, you know, you want to, you want to say that, you can go fight fire together. Right. But you can't even sit down and eat a meal together or, or, you know, watch the same TV show after dinner together or something, you know? So, uh, being a part of the team in all aspects to not just, not just feeling like where you fit in on the fire ground is okay, but, but kind of reaching out to other areas at the station and then bringing that home too. And what you do at home, it, you know, it, it all, you, you talked about it earlier. It all, it all goes together. You know, you've got to be the same guy that you are at the station, that you are at home, that you are, you know, if you go to church, that you are at church and, and, uh, and all these different areas of your life, you've got to be, you've got to be that same person. And that, that doesn't mean that you can't grow as that person. You know, you should change. That's what growth is. You should change as life goes on, but you need to be that person everywhere. So if you're making this change at the station and that's where, cause that's where this stuff started to uh show up in my life was where can i be better at the station and now it's well where can i be better where can i pull those lessons into home too and where can i be better at home uh so i guess that's a long a long answer for your question there but no that's good i like long answers (laughs) now i want to go back to something you said i'm going to quote you on this i thought it was great i don't know if you got it from somewhere else or if it was a morgan exclusive but um, you said with the Marine thing, I never did it because I never did it. And that was uh, a great moment, I think, of, of recognizing, you know, the shortcomings and owning, owning your, not, not even mistakes, owning, owning the inactivity, you know, and, and the, the lack of destination. Um, but it kind of reminded me of a very important point, too, which is obviously what happened with you after that ladder incident is it's never too late and people i don't know what it is about us as a as a generation but whether it's in politics you know we 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 um demonize politicians of which i'm not a fan at all but regardless for being wishy-washy or flip-flopping um when the reality is it's okay today to say i've changed my mind and the you know you and i i know you're a little bit younger than me but like my generation, we were the way we were raised, to, uh, taught to eat, the way we were taught to exercise was fucking wrong. There's no other way around it, you know. We were told that oh, healthy, you just have platefuls of pasta, and you know, 
boiled rice and chicken and you know to exercise you have to go to the bodybuilding machines and now for what we realize in our profession that that's that's terrible advice both of them but it's okay it's like all right well that's what i believed up to that point same with sleep deprivation i only learned out about about four or five years ago has completely changed my view of so many things but I think when you get to a point and you realize that you're somewhere you don't want to be or the information you've been given has actually changed your mind, it's okay to say, I'm going to do something different. And then again, if you fall off the wagon, if you were losing weight and, and then you had a shitty few weeks or and then you stopped drinking and then you actually had a few drinks, it doesn't matter. Today is the only day you can control. So whether it's your skills, your nutrition, your relationships, it's okay to say... I fell off the wagon or I was wrong. Today, I'm going to change things. Well, it's be intentional. You know, be, I just, I, I just finished a book uh, yesterday that I've been reading the last couple of weeks. And, and uh, one of the, one of the phrases the author used over and over again was be here now. And, and it amounted to just that, like, just because, just, you know, use your, use your, uh, your drinking example, you know, just because you had a drink last night doesn't mean you have to have a drink again tonight. Be here now. You know, you might've, you might've lost your way or, or whatever in it, you know, or maybe you didn't train last shift and you're trying to be the guy that, that every, every day I come into work, I'm going to train. And, and you found yourself sitting on the couch and, and, you know, uh, being that quote unquote scumbag that you promised yourself you'd never be. And you know, whatever you found yourself doing that. Well, the next shit, that doesn't matter. You know, it, it matters in the scheme of, of learn from it, but don't live in it. Right. So let's move forward and be here now. And what are you going to do today? That's going to make a difference. What are you intentionally going to do today? Uh, instead of what you unintentionally did yesterday or the day before that or whatever else. Yeah. And and another area that I, again, just became aware of recently is you said about having that one shift where you're in the lazy boy. That's okay because we need to have that rest and recovery. So if you're yeah. normally the dynamo and then one shift, you're like, you know what? I'm just freaking beat down. I'm just going to relax. Maybe, like you said, read an article instead of actually get out there and do something. This whole, you know rest day is for pussies kind of mentality for us where we don't sleep every third day is a horrible horrible philosophy so there has to be a balance you can't you know that one day can't turn into a month but every so often it's okay as well to take those days you know if your body's telling you you're tired then relax take take a nap you know whatever you need to do so that the next shift you are ready and fired up again well you can be active without being zealous too right you know just because you want to exercise every single day doesn't mean you need to go to the CrossFit gym and destroy your body seven days a week. Maybe your activity for that day is just going for a a walk for an hour, you know, or maybe your training for that shift isn't, isn't going outside and pulling lines off the truck. Maybe it's watching uh, YouTube videos and working on your size ups or, you know, uh, learning a little bit about building construction or something like that, that you can do inside or riding around on the truck and riding your territory uh that kind of thing there's so many things that you can do it doesn't have to be hands-on if if, but you have to be aware of yourself too if you're not doing the hands-on stuff or you're not doing the hard stuff because you don't want to then you need to get out there and do it if you're not going to do it because you really truly need a break then take you know take the break you know let off the gas a little bit but but 
you've got to be you've got to be self-aware <laughs> absolutely well i know that you know you've posted a lot of uh videos of you working out so what what led you into where you are now and what does your exercise program look like right now i'm doing kind of a uh a bastardized version of uh west side where oh so i got into powerlifting for a little bit i i competed a couple of times and all that i i absolutely love it too but uh we did a we did a cardio workout at the station when they put our we we'll, we'll do workouts sometimes where we put our gear on with an air pack and then do uh basically do a circuit routine but on uh but breathing air we, we call it a consumption course you know you go you go until you're out of air and see how long you can last all that kind of stuff and we did one of those when i was powerlifting i was competing in powerlifting too so i felt like i was in pretty good shape and uh I think I was the first one out, uh, out of air during that, during that evolution. And that wasn't where I felt like I should be, you know, I, we used 45 minute cylinders and I think that I went like, you know, 18 minutes or 17 minutes, something like that. So, uh, so I started adding cardio work back in, but, uh, but anyway, that, that was years ago, but anyway, so, <laughs> uh, I have a little bit of background in powerlifting. So I went back to that and I'm, that's what I'm basing my strength training on right now. So Mondays and Tuesdays are, uh, heavy, a heavy upper day, a heavy lower day. I don't lift Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday are accessory work days for my upper and lower body. And then I'm, uh, I'm actually about to go try out for the, uh, Oklahoma smoke diver program. So I've, I've added a lot of running back into my, uh, into my routine because that's, I'm, I'm a very weak runner. <laughs> so, uh, and one of the, one of the qualifications for the tryout is to run a mile and a half for full points in under uh 10 and a half minutes, which might sound, you know, it's a seven minute mile pace, which might sound kind of slow to somebody who's an active runner. But for me, that's going to be everything that I can possibly give to this run. So, uh, doing sprints, you know, uh, getting back into swimming, that kind of stuff, just, just building my lungs back up. Right. Is there uh, push-ups and setups in that uh, test as well? Uh, no. It's it's more uh, job-related stuff. So one of one of like one of the stations is uh, up up and down five flights of stairs with uh, two three-inch bundles of hose. Uh, another one is a pike pole pull. So uh, seventy-pound plates, uh, seventy pounds worth of plates on the other side of a pike pole simulator. And you've got to do that so many times. Uh, Pull-ups is part of it. Um, a hose drag, the run, and I think I'm missing one other one other station too. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's more job-related stuff. Right. So very cool. Yeah. Well, I look forward to see your, uh, you know, how you fare with that. I know that's a a very challenging class, but one that is a huge amount of pride when people come out the other side. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking for it. They're they're only going to take the top thirty two from this uh, from this tryout deal. So I'm I'm really trying hard and really hoping that I make that top that top thirty two because it you know as cool as it would be to go through the smoke diver program. But again, that was because of you. I listened to your uh, your interview with Miss Judy Smith, and then went and bought her book Flow Based Leadership uh, after that and started looking into the Georgia program. But as cool as it would be to to get through that, to be a part of Oklahoma's very first class too, would be, would be something, you know, just a, a personal pride thing, I guess. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I actually really want to try and get up to uh, Georgia and, and watch some of their their days up there. It looks amazing. Yeah, you're going to go watch Brian, Brian Olson do his thing? Yeah, actually, I should, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a nutcase, man. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep up with him eventually. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he seems like he's preparing very well. I think that's it. You just got to put yourself through hell, you know. Mm. And it's and it's for that. I mean, that's not every day in the fire service, but if that's your goal, um, then uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to train for that. I think that's I was saying about Hialeah being smoke divers. Our, our last week, I, I really would hold to, close to that. We had guys, you know, with with double lactated ringers in their arms people puking in their masks and the ma- the mazes and it was horrendous in the middle of the miami heat yeah so i kind of feel like i did one i didn't officially do one but uh yeah i know with that we were there three months and and that was a, they did a very very good job of incrementally loading it so we were so used to being in our gear doing pt and everything by the end of it and i think that's what brian seems to be doing successfully and you know hopefully you're right there alongside him well i I'm not. I'm not alongside him. I'm chasing after him, though. So. Well, as long as you're close, can you touch him? <laughs> Maybe my arms are kind of long, so I'm not. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, I'm going to transition to some closing questions. You firstly, you mentioned a book a minute ago. You just finished reading. So, what book was that? Uh, it was Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. Absolutely incredible book. Absolutely incredible. I, that should be required reading for for anyone and any kind of civil service kind of life. It, it was, it was amazing. And what's his background? It sounds like he was kind of all over the, all over the place. When you, when you read his book, uh, he's done some, uh, uh, aerobatic pilot stuff. So, you know, the guys that are doing the loop de loops and the, the barrel rolls and that kind of thing. Um, what else had he done? He's he's real big into survival kind of sports, so like mountaineering and uh, white water rafting, that kind of all that kind of stuff. Uh, it sounds like um, uh, Sebastian Younger actually wrote wrote a, a a little thing on the front of his book too. So, it, and it, it kind of read in that same that same tone that Sebastian Younger writes in. So excellent. Well, I have to put it on my list then. Are, yeah. there, are there any other books that you love to recommend? Uh, no, I'm a pretty big reader. So I, um, building firefighter resiliency, the, uh, the book that, uh, Carpenter Gillespie and George wrote, that's, that's a really good one. That's kind of a quick read, uh, if you want it to be, or you can really dive into that book too. It's, uh, probably just a hundred or so pages and you can really dive into that one too, uh, kind of in the same the same theme of what we've been talking about, I guess. Excellent. All right. So the same question, what about a movie and or documentary? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a recent one. I just watched uh, a documentary on Netflix called Eero uh, Dreams of Sushi. Yes. Love that movie. Oh man. That was, that was really cool. And uh, uh, just to, to see that guy, you know, he spent his whole life, mastering what he does to the point where you know like he would he only goes to certain certain guys at the fish market now because because he knows that what their standards are and and whatever too i thought that was really cool yeah yeah it's just a great a great uh movie about mastery and i think that pertains very much to what we do we're never going to master any one area but understanding it's this constant journey and here's this 
the sushi, uh, excuse me, sushi chef. That's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Um, that's in his, well, I mean, what is he like seventies? I think at that point, who's yeah, I think they're in the movie. Yeah. He's, he's in his like mid seventies or something. Yeah. And still a student like doesn't walk around saying I'm the sushi master. He's constantly trying to improve. And I think that's a huge takeaway. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So next question, is there a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to talk to the first responders of military of the world? I had one in my, I'll give you two because I had one in mind coming into this and then our discussion kind of, kind of brought somebody else up. Uh, I, I think it would be cool to hear you talk to Rich Froning. If you can get a hold of that guy. Uh, he was, I think he still is considered the, like the, the, I don't know how they would say it, the most fit person ever or something. He, he's won the CrossFit games, the individual CrossFit games more than any other guy has more times. Uh, I don't think Matt Frazier's taken that from him yet, but, uh, but he was a firefighter before he got real big into CrossFit and into the CrossFit games. Yeah. I, I've tried, I've tried reaching out to him. I'm about to get Chris Hinshaw on the show. So I'm hoping that that might help. But oh, no, cool. I, I would love to get rich, but I mean, he's very busy, like a lot of these people. Yeah. But yeah, yeah there's him, Miko Salo, even Sam Briggs. I mean, some of these firefighters that went in the CrossFit uh, arena. I know Miko still works in Finland as a firefighter. So he's someone that originally said yes. And then uh, I don't know if my email started going to the junk file or what happened, but I kind yeah. of lost, lost connection. So, but uh, I think he would also be an amazing person because he's still a fireman to this day. Uh, Matt Chan too he's not he doesn't i don't think he competes anymore uh but he's a firefighter and somewhere in colorado i think maybe denver yeah denver area he's been on twice um he went back to the fire service he's okay he stopped he retired just or or paused to compete for a few years and then went back yeah 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 that's that's actually how i know i listened to your show (laughs) that makes sense now yeah all right uh, so you mentioned the second person uh He's, he's probably just as busy as, as Rich Froning is too, but Ben Bergeron, uh, he, he's, he coaches Katrin David's daughter. And I just listened to his book. Uh, his audio book is what made me think of him. Uh, he's coached Matt Frazier too, but he, he takes these high performing athletes and then works his, his coaching style is building their character and having their, their athletic abilities come through the development of their character too which is, you know, I think it's evident in like Matt Frazier, he never finished higher than second. And then he started working with this new guy and he's won, I think the last, like the last three out of four years or something like that. He's won the CrossFit games. Yeah, no, he's definitely someone on my radar as well. Yeah. Uh, High level coach. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right. So last question before we talk about where people can reach out to you, what do you do to decompress when you're not fighting fire and, uh, you know, working with the fools. My wife and I like, so my wife's a pilot, so she's kind of got a high stress job too. Uh, we like to like, I mean, we'll go to a movie theater or we will just chill on our couch and uh, I'll pour, I'll pour a whiskey drink and she'll drink a wine and we'll watch a movie. <laughs> that's, that's what we like to do to kind of, you know, just not, you know, kind of get everything else out of, out of our mind and, and just kind of, let yourself get absorbed by that story or something for a couple of hours. Very cool. Who does she fly for? She's, she's still in that hours building kind of phase right now. So, uh, I've, 
I've learned since being with her that that becoming a commercial airline pilot probably takes just as long as becoming a, a medical doctor. So uh, she had to go through flight school. And then once she got all of her uh, her licenses, now she has to build build time until she gets to uh, about 1,500 total flight hours. And then she can apply for these regional carriers. And then she needs another 1,000 hours on top of that before she can apply to, uh, you know, like American Airlines or Southwest or Delta, whoever. So it's a, it's a several year process. And she's, she's about a quarter of the way through those hours probably now. So she's working on it, but. Excellent. No, but that's yeah. it. There's a lot of people I know that wanted to do that, but you know, they, they started that process and saw how ominous it was and they just kind of stopped very early. So it's really cool to hear that she's well on track. Yeah. She's, she's wanted to, she, the, her dad was a, a, a pilot. He retired from Southwest airlines and uh, that's something that she's wanted to do since she was uh, her and her brother both, I guess. That that's the only. She said that she wanted to be an astronaut when she was little bitty, but other than that, this is the only thing that she's ever really wanted to do. So it's really it's really cool to see somebody, but not not just to see somebody, but to be with somebody who's uh, like sure enough chasing after their dream and and making it happen. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, Southwest is actually supposed to be a very good company to work for as well. I think alongside Virgin, Google, I think Southwest is up there with the uh, employee-centric philosophy, oh, awesome. actually valuing your employees. Yeah, she, she's a flight attendant for them right now while she's finishing the flight school or while she's getting her hours and that kind of stuff built up. So she's she's already working for the company, and uh, uh, they they are absolutely incredible. Really cool company. Really cool uh really cool model behind how they do their their stuff too like you said very employee centric very cool nice yeah i actually uh applied for what do they call it brand ambassador i think mm-hmm. um cuz i would love to to you know use a company like that and actually do more traveling do more of these interviews face to face but you know fly a certain airline and and let everyone know how amazing they are so we'll see if that pans out or not yeah good luck all right. So last question then, if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you on social media? Uh, I, so you can search C Morgan 0789. Uh, I've got a Twitter account. I'm not really on it very often. Uh, I kind of go through spurts with Instagram, but right now I'm on, I'm on Facebook more than anything. Perfect. All so right. I'll still see it if it comes up on, you know, if something comes across on Instagram, but I'm not, I'm not, really posting anything on there right now nice yeah i've never figured out twitter I yeah think, i think the three and a half followers <laughs> that i have don't give a shit whether i post stuff or not anyway so <laughs> yes <laughs> all right well chase i want to i just want to say thank you this has been a great conversation but to have the humility and courage to come on here and say you know that that you found yourself in that place and i think that's an honest place that a lot of us find ourselves at some point and the motivated people pull themselves back out many of our peers you know don't depending on the leadership and you know the environment but um i think this is a story needed to be told and i really appreciate you stepping up and telling it well thanks for having me on it's been it's been fun sitting sitting and talking to you for a little bit so thank you 